coming to you from the pit in Royal Grande, California. Your hosts, John Hackleman and Dr. James Casper. It's time for Pitmaster and the Doc. Hey guys, Pitmaster here. I'm here with the Doc. John, good because we are doing Pitmaster and the Doc, and we have a very, very, very informative uh, topic for you today. Whether you want to be a UFC champion, and I know how to train a UFC champion, by the way. Or if you just want to stay safe on the street, when I say safe, I mean alive. Wait, before I even finish, okay, check this out. I had this, I had this uh, brand made. It's like a brand. Like if you want to brand someone, it's the pit guy. I was wondering what you guys would pay me, right, to get this heated up and to brand the doc on his arm. If you guys can, if somebody wants to see that live on camera... Good luck. For a good fee, you you send me what you'll pay me, and, and I'll brand him with this. Anyway. All right. So. That's awkward. Okay. Now, if you want to stay safe, safe on the street, it takes a high, high amount of cardio. And it's not the kind of aerobic cardio like jogging or walking or like just punching a bag really calm. To stay safe on the street, if you ever get attacked, if you ever get attacked on the street and it's a life or death situation, I'll tell you this right now firsthand, I know this, your heart rate will go from 70 to about 270 in about 10 seconds, okay? If you're in the cage fighting, your, your heart rate will go from like about 70 to maybe 270 over the course of a round, okay? It goes up and down because a, a cage fight, while it does get your car, your uh, adrenaline pumping, it usually pumps like right when you're walking to the cage and right when you're right when you're entering the cage. Once the fight starts, most of the adrenaline goes. You have bits and pieces of adrenaline dumps here and there, depending on how the fight goes. But it is nothing like a street fight because a street fight is a, a life or death situation. Um, so to for both, both the sport and street, you need to be in fighting shape to come out ahead. All right. So we're gonna talk about it because we got this. We luckily we have an actual doctor, not like just a, like a PhD in 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 English lit or anything like that call me doctor, um, but we actually have a doctor like an MD, so we're going to talk about a couple of the, the physiological things that happen when you get in fighting shape versus not, okay? So being in fighting shape is very important. I mean, there's no downside to it. If you get jumped on the street and you're in fighting shape, your chances of staying alive go up exponentially, okay? Now, if you don't get in fighting shape and you get jumped in the street, right? Unless you get a lucky punch in or you're just so strong, you can overpower them in 10 seconds. Chances are, if you're not in fighting shape, you're gonna die. 
or at least get the living shit beat out of you and end up in the hospital or a nursing home. Okay, so the downside is you get in fighting shape and you don't get jumped, right? So we're so so now you just look better at the beach. That's the downside. You're gonna look better at the beach. You're gonna look better for your girlfriend or boyfriend, and you're gonna feel healthier. You're gonna be stronger, and you're gonna be more productive as a human. So being in fighting shape, and I'm doing fighting shape, is very important. It's a very important thing. Like okay, I'll give you a for instance. We got the doc. All right, we got James. He's the doc. He was, he was in cardio shape, like aerobic shape, before he came to the pit. So he could, if, you know, he could probably take a good walk with his wife or they could jog or whatever. But if he got jumped in the street before and everything, the, the adrenaline just came to a huge spike, I don't think he would have done too well back in the day. Okay, we, we, we actually drilled the other day and I've been watching him train. Everything's changed now that he's been training because the difference in our training and your training should be is we take our heart rate and bring it way up. We don't just bring it up so you can talk and you can, you know, you can chat, etc. We go to the anaerobic threshold. So we, we bring it up super high and then we do fight related stuff or, or, or martial arts related stuff. So that helps my fighters that want to fight in the UFC and my regular students like doctors, lawyers, cops, or whatever that might get jumped in the street someday. So it's a different kind of being in fighting shape, but it's the same. You know what I mean? So the training's the same. The outcome or the goal is, is, is a little different. Okay. So with that said, let's ask Doc. Okay. Now. If I was trying to get in shape and I, I was trying to cut some weight and I just went jogging, you know, three times or four times a week, I, did, I jogged a, a 5K, but then I got jumped in the street and my, 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 my heart, heart rate just skyrocketed. It's not used to going there versus I'm used to hitting the bag, doing burpees, doing grappling, doing takedowns, doing hard drills that bring my heart up in the heart rate up in the gym. Then I get jumped in the street. Which do you think would, would leave me in a better position and why? Well, I think both are better than most people. I mean, most Both people, are better than nothing. Most, most, yeah. So I think the people that jog or ride their bike to, you know, to a pretty high level, they're in good cardiovascular shape. When I think about fighting shape, like what you're talking about right now and getting jumped or whatever... For me, I would kind of break that into, you know, mentally fighting shape, right. muscle memory, knowing what you're doing, having the skills okay. to defend yourself. But separate, what you're talking about is just being in cardiovascular shape, yeah. which from high intensity training, um, you know, definitely makes your body changes Jeez. and you become trained, a trained athlete or a trained, you know, person that's, that's training, their cardiovascular system works differently than someone who doesn't train. And just like you can train... And become trained and, and have a better cardiovascular output, be able to deliver more oxygen to your muscles and be in better shape and better to, you know, withstand a situation that you're going to be in. You can also be detrained almost as quickly. So it's something you get and you need to maintain. There are studies that show you probably don't need to maintain. Once you get to where you want to be, 
you can decrease your intensity a little bit and maintain it, but you need to continue to maintain it. And you can be yeah. detrained just as quickly, whether you take a astronaut that's in outer space and there's no gravity for them, uh, or you take someone that has a head injury and they're in a bed or in a coma, or you just put them in a cast. They break their leg and you put them in a cast. Your muscle wastes away so quickly and your cardiovascular system will change to the point where you don't have that same cardio output. You can't generate it even if you want to. So to staying staying in cardiovascular shape, staying in good, what you're calling fighting shape, uh, I think it, it's much healthier for you if you measure your cholesterol and you know people with diabetes or anything else. We know that it can reverse medical disease, but also uh, just keeping in fighting shape so you have better heart health uh, is really, from a doctor's point of view, is very important. From your point of view, being able to defend yourself and whether it's that guy with cardio, he can run away. So the fight or flight, you know, he may serve him well. The guy that runs all the time, he may be able to outrun yeah. anyone, chase him down. But if you need to defend yourself and you can't get away, um, you know what you're talking about, the being in cardiovascular shape. That's a good thing to touch on. I didn't, I didn't, I talk about this all the time, but I didn't mention it right now for whatever reason because I just, it came out of my mind. I wasn't thinking about it. But there's two things. If you can run away, you should always run away. But my self-defense scenarios always include you're not able to run away or else you just run away. That's a no-brainer. Um, but sometimes you just can't, and sometimes it puts you in a worse precarious position, but muscle memory. So if you jog all the time and you learn some techniques, but then you just jog all the times, you learn those techniques once, but you never practice them. Now you know them in your head, you get jumped. They're not in your muscle memory. You're going to just start flailing. I've seen fighters that train so much wrestling and they learn how to punch. So they know how to punch in the gym but they don't practice it over and over and over, and it's not part of their muscle memory. The fight fight starts, adrenaline pumps, they get hit, they get tagged or something, and for whatever reason, their mind isn't like thinking straight. The fighter that's always been practicing, the muscle memory will come out, and good punches. I've seen guys knock people out while they didn't remember what happened. I've seen well, that. You can read a book about how to do surgery. It doesn't mean you're going to be very good at it. And you can do it once, and you're probably still not going to be very good at it. It's the muscle memory in all that. our jobs and everything we do. We all know that's real. But for training, you know, when we get in there and spar, it makes a huge difference if you've done it a lot of times before. Yeah. Then when you're coming in and even when you're showing us the techniques, you got to get out there and do it. So and, Yeah, and with that said, when you're sparring, it's much easier when the muscle memory just takes over. But now take that to like 10,000 degrees different. Now you get jumped by some guy in the street that's trying to kill you. That muscle memory better be freaking intact or you're dead. So the muscle memory is very important. Then in the cage, it's very important because you, you might be so good at practicing the stuff when you're thinking but then when you get tagged, you're not thinking anymore. It all it, you hear the the uh, the announcers they say their you know their reflexes took over, you know their intuition or their you know just took over. So that's when it just takes over. Your your muscle memory takes over, right? So and if it's not there, you haven't drilled it ten thousand times, and you get tagged, you're gonna forget everything. You're just gonna start punching like this. Whereas if you do train everything comes out as, as part of your muscle memory. Instincts take over. So that's why they, they'll call it, you know, oh, it's, he's fighting on pure instincts. Well, and, and to take someone that's in a, you know, physically threatening position, even in the cage, like we saw in the fights last time, 
you get a guy, I think, that was just instinctually hitting back or defending himself when he's being kicked, and then they, you know, they disqualify him for hitting after the bell. Yeah. But he's just, I think, reacting. He's yeah. reacting. He's being assaulted. He's he's doing what he knows how to do. So we both felt like you can't really blame that guy. This is ingrained into him. That was to defend himself. Oh, was that the that was the Hector Lombard fight? Yeah. Hamburg, yeah. I think that I believe that a hundred percent, and and. I've heard, I actually did a survey and, and like I said, it went like 40% thought he was okay and then 60% thought he should have been uh, should have been disqualified, which he was and I don't think he should have been because I think his instincts took over and I talked to him after and he said, hey coach, you know how it is, you're a fighter, instincts, you know, that's, how, that's what we do, you know, and, and I think that's true and to have those instincts, you know, that could save your life, you know. So, so being in fighting shape to me is training your anaerobic thresholds, right? So getting your lactic acid way up there and getting used to that. I think I think you should do that at least three times a week to where you're you're just pumping your your cardio like to the max, okay? And in well, while you're doing that, I think there should always be some type of combative. Or martial art type aspect like burpees and bag like you make them do burpees on the bag until they can't barely breathe and then boom jump on the bag and pretend you're being attacked or pretend you want to win a UFC title so you're so tired you just did a minute of burpees now you jump on the bag and you're so tired but you're just you're you're punching and kicking trying to use good form but you're 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 building this into your muscle memory then when you get that tired out there in the cage or in the street, those things come out. And that's what I'm talking about being in fighting shape. What's the downside of that? I don't know. You look better in a bathing suit. There's no downside to it. There's no downside to throwing martial arts into your fitness training. There's just you there's no you can think you can think from now until 2080. You will not think of one downside to being in top fighting shape, okay? And I'll tell you that only, this isn't a downside of being in fighting shape, but of incorrectly training. And one of the things in my practice in medicine that I spend a big part of my day talking to patients about is they come in injured. So I don't see people that aren't injured. So they're coming in injured, and a lot of times we're, we're talking about training problems. So people that are overtraining, they're not cross-training, they're doing the same thing all the time and, and they get injured or they start to have an injury and they continue training anyway because we have this false sense of no pain, no gain, which I am a big proponent of if you're talking about my muscles are sore, but if you're talking about my joint hurts or I have an injury and you train on it anyway, that always gets worse. That doesn't go away. Yeah. It always gets worse until it's so bad that you're in my office where you don't want to be. So... It's the overtraining that becomes a problem. So doing what we do here, if you did that every day, would be terrible for right. you. And I think right. that's the one thing that I see over and over again. You think of teenage athletes and you see basketball players or football players and they have this problem and they get injured and they are, they've never been injured before. And so they don't know that their body has limits. And But then you see the same thing in a 40-year-old that's trying to train for a marathon. And they're trying to keep up with their sister, who's been running for years. They can't. And so they end up with an injury from yeah. overtraining. So there's, a, there's the extreme where people take things to the extreme. And you meet people like that all that's, the time. That overtrain and you have to retrain them that that's actually not good for you.
Right. And and I that's a great point and I want to say that's one of the reasons that that I am such a great coach. Sorry, if that's but I am because I know I know that any guy can pretend he's hardcore and just make people do a thousand burpees every day. I'm hardcore. And then their fighters or their their students will just always be injured, bored, exhausted, heart attacks and die, whatever. But they're not going to make progress. That's why I know that my high intensity work, you need to do it, but I never do it more than three days a week. Sometimes only two days a week, but never more than three. And some people go, no, six days a week, I train that hard. No, you're going to get hurt doing that. So that's why I mix my hard days with my easy days and my rest days. So overtraining is a great, a great uh, topic because once you overtrain, like you should always stay here. If this is fighting shape, whether you want to be a fighter or you want to be a top shape person that's always ready, it's a different kind of training. Okay, it's a different kind tra- of training because the fighter, the the athlete, all right, they need to they need to drill more. They need to practice. Uh, they need to practice bad scenarios more, and they need to spar more. But it's only for a short period. To get into fighting shape, once you're in shape, right? Like if I took if I took uh, James and I wanted to get because he's in really good shape, and I wanted to f- have him fight in the UFC or in the MMA match. From where he is right now, it would probably just conditioning and fighting shape. It would probably take me six weeks. It would probably take me six weeks to just get the timing and the drilling to get into a cage and fight. Okay, if he came to me out of shape, it would probably take me a minimum, a minimum of uh, sixteen weeks, because I'd have to get him in shape first. Okay, and then have that to build on, and then start working on his timing, his speed, his drilling, his sparring, etc. So when some fighters, Hold on. if anyone listening knows my wife, I'm not fighting. <laughs> okay, all right, go ahead. But if I get a, if I get a, actually, if I get a, uh, if I get anybody that will offer me ten thousand dollars, he will get branded on camera. <laughs> I think I'll outbid that person, but go ahead. Anyway, so um. <laughs> So that's that's the difference. Like some of the fighters in the UFC, they know when they're going to fight. They're in the UFC, so they can afford to get kind of out of shape. And then usually most fighters do an eight to twelve week camp. Most fighters go eight weeks because more people kind of stay in shape now in between fights. So the eight week camp is to get your timing down because a lot of people come into come into camp already in shape, right? So the timing that's what they mean fighting shape because you want to peak up to here. Right, but if you overtrain, once you go past peaking, you're 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 better off down here out of shape than to be overtrained. Being undertrained is is uh is favorable, right? I'd rather have you undertrained than overtrained. I'd even ha- I'd rather have you like undertrained significantly than overtrained a little. Well, you can recover from being undertrained a lot quicker than you can from being injured. Typically. Right. So if you go overtrained and you're injured, you're gonna have a lot longer way to get back right. to where you want to be. But even before an injury happens, or an I- if an injury doesn't happen, it's a mental thing. When people overtrain, they become stale. They don't want to fight. They become listless. Their timing's off. Their their 
their dynamic explosive powers off. They're just kind of ho-hum. Once you get overtrained, and that's what trainers really have to look for in their fighters. I mean, I've had, like, when Chuck was training for some of his fights, you know, we we're supposed to be training an hour that day. I'd watch him, like, the first 10 minutes. i go, take the rest of the day off. You're done. I, you have to be able to know your fighters or your students. I can watch my students, and I can tell the class. I can feel the cumulative energy of the class, and I can tell if it's not there, and I'll either pull back, on the cardio and the, and the anaerobic work that I do, or I'll build it up. I can tell in my class. And all good trainers and coaches need to be able to do that because it's easy to have an ego and go, I'm going to do this. And you set up this for the day. Like you have a, you have a curriculum for the day or a schedule, and then you're, you're going to go with it. And then you watch your fighter, and you can tell that his timing's a little off, and he just doesn't seem like he's really going with it. So maybe he's a little bit on the overtrained, but you've already got this plan workout planned, so you stick with it. That's when you're going to get your fighter hurt. Same within a class. If you see your class going, and you have this whole thing written out like I always do, but if I just don't feel it in my class, I go, all right, let's everybody just do some pit volleyball, and they'll do something else. You always have to be in tune with your fighter. You always have to be in tune with your class. And if you're a student or a fighter, you have to be in tune with yourself. Like if you're training and your coach is telling you to do this, this, and this, but you know you don't feel like you, you want to push that hard because you might get injured, you might overtrain. If you're a fighter, you say, hey, coach, I feel like I'm overtraining a little. And if he's a good coach, he'll either, number one, let you and say, yeah, you're right, take the day off. Or maybe you're fucking lazy and you always tell him that and you don't work very hard. He might say, no, shut the fuck up and work. So you have to have a coach that's good enough to know the difference. Because I've had fighters come to me and go, hey, coach, I need to uh, really go easy today. I need, and, I, uh, and I'll say, no, you don't. Go train. Because some guys are looking for an easier workout Guys like Chuck, Glover, Court, you know, some of my top fighters, they never do. So if, if they go, oh, I'm feeling tired today, it's like, take the day off. Because I know they would never do that. So if you're a regular student in a regular class like Doc is, I call him James, but you can call him Doc. Um, $10,000. Um, but if he was like, if he was training in the class, he's probably not going to say, hey, I don't really feel like working quite as hard. So what I'm doing in the class, he just shouldn't do it up to this level. Because almost everything you're doing, even if I give you a number of some things to do, like burpees, go. If you're not really feeling it and you feel like you're pushing it a little, just do less burpees. Don't push the intensity. You, you, have, you have what we call a perceived level of exertion, PLE. Perceived level of exertion. That's kind of like instead of putting a a pulse monitor on you, like a heartbeat, heart rate monitor. That's how I have always trained myself. I've never believed in heart rate monitors. I've always gone with perceived level of exertion. And I know when I'm pushing myself to its maximum. And I know when I'm not. And I know which level I should be at. And I think everybody should get that skill because then you know when you're a little lower. I know some days, man, I gotta work it up a little bit. So I'll train a little bit harder than I wanted to because I need it, and some days I need to cut back. And that's one of the ways you can stay in fighting shape is to keep this level right here just under peaking, okay? Whether you're training for the street, 
or you're training for the cage, keep right here. And when you're a cage fighter, get right about here the day of the fight. And that's a that's what that's like your main goal as a fighter or a trainer. You want to be right here on a fight day. Not a, if you get here a week before fight day, you're screwed because you're gonna either be here on fight day or back down to here. You can't stay here for more than a couple days, no more. So you want to peak, and and a really good coach can bring his fighter up to here on fight day. Okay, so that's where you want to be on fight day. So, and I think for for the athlete that is training in the martial arts, you need days where you're not doing martial arts, not just light days, but days where you do something else. I think whether you run or recycle or do something completely different, or even swim, John, um, where you do something that's different, you can still work on your cardiovascular health um, and not just do nothing. So I think training every day is bad news, but you need to do something else. Yeah. You, you should have a couple of days off a week, but yeah, doing like our other- Madonna. Doing yeah, it's a different activity. It's yeah. something we don't do here. So. We have a Madonna. That's that's the day that we hike, and it's a workout. You know, it's a good workout. It's a good workout. It's a cardio, legs. We're, you're working, you know, but, but it's you also still, you can still talk too. Yeah, so it's nothing to do with martial arts. So it's a cross training day, or I mean, to be honest though, I mean, if you love the martial art part, on your day, on your easy day, just go hit the bag real easy for 15 minutes. You know what I mean? And then do something like that. But on your not hard days, you should not bring your heart rate up at all. So what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think I think if you're not bringing your heart rate up, though, you're not really stressing your cardiovascular health. And that's what gets you the gains as far as your heart's ability to output more. Right. Your heart can output more. Even if, you're, if you take a trained athlete, their heart rate's lower. So if you think about how much blood they can get into their system you think well their heart rate's lower they're not pumping as often that's when they're at rest they still bring their heart rate up pretty high maybe not as high as an untrained person but the amount of blood you can pump with your heart goes up dramatically for each time it pumps well yeah but i'm talking about uh i'm talking about the the easy days like the hard days yeah you want you got you got to get your heart rate up you have to get uncomfortable you have to do your x amount of push-ups or Waits until it just hurts. I mean, go check with a doctor first. All right, uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to be responsible for somebody having a stroke or anything. But if you're say you're healthy, I'm, I'm assuming you're all healthy. You need to push your heart rate so high that you can't even talk. You just you can barely even like today's burpee workout. My wife and I were doing it right next to each other. We couldn't have said one word to each other during the workout. And you should bring it so high that you can't. On your easy days, you want to bring your heart rate up, um, like say you know sixty percent instead of you know eighty or ninety. But at sixty percent, you could talk. So that's more of an aerobic workout as opposed to an anaerobic workout. Your easy days should be aerobic. Your your hard days should be definitely anaerobic with intervals. With intervals. You are getting aerobic parts to that. Yeah. It's not all anaerobic. I think you would die. But your anaerobic, you know, if you get in a fight or something like that or you get jumped, it's going to be mainly anaerobic at first. Right. You know, in the first up to two minutes or so. But cardio is going to kick in and your ability to deliver oxygen to your muscles, which is the main thing that's going on, or to get uh, the byproducts away from your muscles, the waste out of your muscles so they can keep functioning. That's what your whole cardiovascular system is doing. So when you get someone that's in shape, they can do that much more efficiently. That'd be, that'd be cool. 
I think this would be a cool, like, test. Like, to have two guys, because they always talk about steroids and they do all this other stuff. But the main thing you need in, in, in a fight is oxygen. I mean, that's, that's the main thing you need. I mean, because that's what's going. That's your, that's your fuel. That's, what's, that's what your fuel is right there. That's what's burning your fuel, whatever. So I think fighters should, like, figure out a way where they can have some high concentration of oxygen. Like, like you're getting, like... The, like, the, like the athletes eight. have figured that out. They did things like blood doping, which right. all the cyclists do, increase their number of red blood cells... To the point some of them were doing it where they'd have a stroke because they had too many blood cells. But if you increase them just a little, you can carry more oxygen to right. all of your all of your muscle. And that right. just gives people just enough advantage in a long-term sport like a right. marathon. That would be an ultra-marathon or a marathon. Right. But to me, a fight is so anaerobic. And you, uh, blood doping would be counterproductive because, yeah, you're going to build up your RBCs and your hemoglobin, but you're also going to be have thicker blood. So it's not going to be as good for the kind of fight i think if you just had like if you could put if you're allowed to put like some kind of closed system nasal cannula where it could just pump oxygen into you while you're fighting so your blood isn't any thicker you don't have a higher hemoglobin but it is getting more oxygen to get rid of the the lactic acid when it comes in i think i think that'd be a great it would be like oh you know what would be great have them fight have two guys fight in like a dome with a high concentration of oxygen. Until there's a spark. <laughs> That's going to go bad. That would, who how would there be a spark? That would be cool. Watching two guys fight in a dome. Like in the old... Remember the old oxygen tents back in the day? They used to have oxygen tents. Like when people lay in bed. I know Michael Jackson slept in an oxygen chamber. That was that was a... That was a... That was an oxygen chamber. That was a... a what do you... Hyperbaric. That was hyperbaric oxygen. But I think just if like they pumped it in, so instead of your oxygen, like in your air, is always 21%, you're breathing in 21% oxygen all the time. Um, so everybody breathes in 21% oxygen all the time. Now put yourself in a dome where they pump in oxygen so your the ambient air is like 90% oxygen. Man, you could do all it would be the opposite of training at altitude. It'd be like it would be like you could do shit for you could do so many burpees. Yeah. I'd love to do that. It sounds very flammable. Yeah. Speaking of flammable, $10,000. Just give me the offer, guys, cuz I need $10,000 right now. I don't know why. Oh, cuz we're going on a trip to uh we're going on a trip to um where we're we going? Oh, we're going to the Grand Canyon. Next month. You are. Sounds yeah. fun. Yeah. She, Heather wants to drive. Well, you can hike up and down the canyon. You're in fighting shape. You'll well, be fine. What do you think about driving us? She says like nine hours. It's a long hours. ways. Yeah. She wants to, she, she's trying, she's on, we're trying to do some minimalist type living. So we're changing some things because we've been reading books on minimalist living techniques on like just how to cut back on stuff and not always need to get more stuff and better stuff and always try to keep up with the Joneses and then keep more of what you have and enjoy more of what you have. So she's kind of into that phase, which I like because that does good for me. I think my only objection to that is vacations. Yeah. Is experiences, is going somewhere. So if you're going to have more fun flying there, fly there. But but you need a car when you get there anyway. Nine hours is not that far. We drive to Phoenix. It's 11 hours. It's very doable. It's well, she's way. saying it's nine hours to Phoenix, 11 to Grand Canyon. You 
getting getting to Phoenix in nine hours from here is gonna be a that's a stretch. That, well, she just she's only looked on the internet, but um, but yeah, but the vacation also, and we we're thinking of this, like if we drive to L.A. to fly from there, right now you gotta drive to L.A. and park and everything. So there's five hours right there, and you gotta get there early. Yeah, so there's like five hours. Then you get to the airport out. Uh, you know, an hour and a half early, and then the flight is an hour, so there's two and a half hours. So that now you got, you got like six and a half hours right there. It's not well. When we lived in in L.A. and we had family in Phoenix, we would drive because by the time you got to the airport early and parked your car and then got on your plane and flew there and then got it took almost the same amount of time, and then you got your car. So I I, I don't know driving is just sometimes easier. So I I don't know. Plus, then you get to spend more time with your. Yeah. So we're thinking of driving. We're not quite a hundred percent sure yet, but uh, she wants to go to Phoenix and do a seminar at, at one of our schools there. We got an affiliate school, the Pit, uh, the Pit Phoenix, the Pit Arizona, the Pit Mesa, uh, Kelly Corder and 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 Jen Corder run it. So that's really cool. So we're gonna go over there and then Grand Canyon. But anyway, so being in shape, fighting shape, guys, just think of this. The only downside of being in fighting shape, this is the downside. You're going to look better with your clothes off. That's the downside. And if you don't think that's downside, then guess what? There's no downside to being in fighting shape. So get out there and start training. If you need a training schedule or any advice on, on how many days to train, what kind of training you should do, write me, a, write me a, a comment right here. We'll tell you. We will tell you how to get and stay in fighting shape. Whether you want to win a UFC title or just keep your family safe on the street. We, we, got, we got you covered for both. We're experts at keeping you guys in fighting shape, all right? Good one, John. Thanks. Good talk. I'll see you guys. Thanks for coming, guys. Comment and share, please. Thanks.